0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Barry. I'm one of the pastors, one of the team here. And a Happy New Year to you. What a mixed start to this new year our nation has had, hey? There's been... um, Lots of celebration, lots of joy. I had the privilege of going and seeing the fireworks not down the south coast. The fireworks at the harbour and uh, me and my family did and um, we parked our car underneath this building and there's a secret to get into this building. You need one of these to get in and I left this in the car and so when we rocked up here at about 1am, 1, 1 I'm going, oh, how are we going to get in? So I rang someone and they didn't answer. Good choice. Then I rang David Solomon and he answered. I thought, ah, oh, thank God for David. And uh, Dave, mate, thank you so much for rescuing my family and I uh, from, from our little ordeal on New Year's Eve. Thanks, mate. Um, So, I've got it with me now and I carry it with me wherever I go, but New Year's Eve, man, hasn't it been a mixed thing? I want to ask, though, some of you, I just want you to raise your hand if you know someone who's been affected uh, by these bushfires in some way, whether it's holidays changed or uh, houses burnt or family, just raise them nice and high. Wow, look at that. Lots of people know, lots of people who have had... And it's been devastating, hasn't it? And uh, today what I want us to do is to ask a few questions as we look at this topic in liminal moments of new hope. Where is God in the tragedy? You know, a lot of people have lost their lives, 23 people up until nine o'clock last night, that, and, and some of those were firefighters, father and sons. Uh, in some cases, it was um, uh, a pilot, a doctor, firefighter, a mechanic, farmers. And in the midst of this tragedy, a lot of people are asking, trying to blame different people for what's going on in our world today, and uh, sometimes the politicians get the blame, and sometimes others get the blame, and sometimes even God gets the blame. And sometimes people are asking the question, why did God let this happen? Or where is God when there is a tragedy? Where is God when stuff like this goes on? And the Bible actually answers that question. One thing we do know for sure is that God is near. God is close. The psalmist says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. You know, when tough times come and when tragedy comes, God is right there with us in the midst of it. He is close. On New Year's Eve, the ABC interviewed uh, on one of their radio stations, they interviewed a guy by the name of David Jeffrey. Uh, David, on New Year's Eve at that time, I understand that he was an atheist. Uh, he, um, he owned the Wave Oasis Bed and Breakfast in Mallacoota. And uh, when when the 4,000 people were on the beach at Mallacoota uh, trying to stay safe and when it was at 9am in the morning and the whole area was just pitch black with smoke. David heard that the fire had reached the airport just on the edge of the town of Malakuta. And when he heard it, he prayed a prayer, an atheist prayed a prayer. And he said he prayed to God and he prayed to Jesus and he asked that the wind would change. And God heard his prayer. The wind did change. Uh, The wind uh, went up against itself, it turned against itself and blew the fire away from Mallacoota for a full five minutes and then it stopped and then everything was calm and then 20 minutes later the original wind returned but it was stronger now and instead of taking out the town, uh, it cleared the smoke and people could see the sun again at 9.30 in the morning. I share that story because that's a good news story. Uh, a good news story in this tragedy. But where is God? The Bible also says this, the psalmist said this, that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. God is there for us and he is with us in our pain, in our suffering, in the difficult times. I don't want to take away from what's going on in our nation today in relation to the fires, but I want to just mention a couple of things that we also need to be aware of that Every three hours in Australia, every three hours, every day of the year and every month of the year, every three hours, there is one person in our nation who successfully takes their own life. And every nine minutes, we've been here for a few minutes now, every nine minutes, someone in Australia attempts to take their own life. Why does that happen? Well, I believe it's a lot to do with hope or having a sense of not having hope. And hope is so important to us. Um, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, the writer of Proverbs says. He says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And isn't that true? When our longing, when our desire gets fulfilled, it's like, ah, there's life. But, but our heart gets sick when we don't have the hope, when we, when we can't see hope or when, when we just can't achieve it. And one of the things that people need to know today in Australia, every Australian needs to know that God loves them. Every Aussie needs to know that. And every Aussie also needs to know that God is a God of hope. What is hope? Is hope like, you know, when you have a birthday and... Um, you, you know, and, and as each year you have a birthday, you're a little bit older. And when you get a little bit older, instead of having the number of candles representing the number of years, they you give you the number of candles representing the number of decades because there's too many candles to blow out. Or, or sometimes it's just so many, the person just says, Look, we'll just give you one, you know. Is it, it, hope like when you blow out the candle and you make a wish? Is hope wishful thinking? No, that's not what hope is. Is hope then maybe blind optimism. I mean, it's better to be an optimist than a pessimist. I mean, an optimist looks for, every oppor- looks for opportunities in every problem, but a pessimist looks for the problems in every opportunity. And it's far better to be an optimist than it is to be a pessimist, I can assure you. And it's better to hang around optimists than it is to hang around pessimists. Can't we agree with that? And it's better if you recognise that you're a pessimist that, you, gee, you better start being an optimist. But here's the thing. Um, When it comes to blind optimism, blind optimism is that sense of, she'll be right, mate. It's going to be all okay. It's all going to work out in the end anyway. That's blind optimism. Not looking at the reality of the situation. Is hope blind optimism? No, it isn't. Well, maybe hope is something else. Instead of being wishful thinking or blind opti- optimism, maybe it's, maybe it's setting goals. Maybe it's having ambitious dreams. Now, we're at that time of year where people do set New Year's resolutions, and, and it's a good thing to set goals. Uh, God himself set goals. He, he, he said, let's make the world. And he went about and achieved his goal. God, throughout the Bible, there's heaps and heaps of times when God sets goals and he sets a strategic plan in place in order to achieve his goals. And he's been doing that for many, many years. It's a good thing to have goals. And at this time of year, people set goals. They set goals either for their work or for family, for finances, for fitness, for fun, recreation. A lot of people set goals for where they're going to spend holidays in the next week or two. I know some friends who... They were going to go on holidays down the south coast, but their plans got thrown up in the air. And and sometimes when it comes to setting our goals, it's a good thing to set goals, but sometimes we need to recognise that we're not in control of the outcome of our goals. And when we're not in control of the outcome of our goals, we need to recognise that there is someone who is in control of our goals, and uh, that is God himself ultimately. But what is hope? Hope is having that expectation... That God will come through and that God is going to keep his promises. That's what hope is. It's not wishful thinking. It's not blind optimism. It's not setting unrealistic or, or, you know, it's not setting uh, ambitious dreams. Hope is that confident expectation that God is going to come through. Even when life or the circumstances of life aren't that great or aren't that good, that's what hope is. Why do we need hope? Why do we need it? Um, just my, uh, my wife and I, we bought Sandina, our little girl, uh, a fish. You know, we've just moved all the way from the sunny coast down, down here to Sydney. And, uh, and the girls arrived a few months after I arrived. And, and so what happened was we, we bought Sandina a pet. She used to have pet chickens. Now she's got a pet fish. And this little pet fish, she feeds it every day. But this little fish wouldn't survive without water, would it? Fishes don't survive without water. And a bird cannot fly without air. And we cannot survive without hope. We, it's said about people that we can survive for about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about two minutes without air, but we cannot survive for one second without hope. Hope is essential to life. Having hope is essential. The Bible actually talks about this in Proverbs. It says, without a vision, the people perish. Without hope, without something to look forward to, without uh, a picture of the future that produces passion in you, without that, we perish. We die, our heart becomes sick and we perish. Hope is essential to life. 2,000 years ago, there was this guy called Paul, and Paul knew how important hope is and hope was. And uh, he knew that there's great power in hope. So one of the things that Paul did, he, he was a Roman citizen. He was also a Jew. I don't know how that works, but it worked for him. And he was a Jew. He was a Roman citizen. He knew how powerful Rome was. I mean, 2,000 years ago, what was the big power of the day? Rome. And uh, there, were some, there were some pretty amazing cities of the time, there was the city of Rome itself, uh, the city of Athens, the city of Corinth, and the city of Ephesus. These were some of like the big four cities in the region of, of the ancient world at that particular time. And Paul wrote to this little group of Christians at Ephesus about the importance of hope. Uh, let's have a look at the city of Ephesus. There it is. There you can see. Now, those those how long ago were those pavers laid? about 2,000 years ago, a bit longer actually. Romans knew how to build roads, didn't they? And and so that's the city of Ephesus. And uh, one of the things we know about Ephesus, it's a little bit like, well, Sydney is a modern-day Ephesus. I mean, we know that the world population has grown a little bit over the last 2,000 years, just a little bit, just a lot actually. And so 2,000 years ago, you know, one of these big cities was Ephesus. And Ephesus... Sydney is a little bit like a modern-day Ephesus in the sense that Ephesus was a very important city. It had a, a harbour. It wasn't quite as big as Sydney Harbour, but it had a river. It also had, um, It was a place of trade. It was a place of commerce. Uh, it had town halls. It had a city hall. It had, um, it had... You know, if you walk outside here today, you walk out, walk out the door, out the front steps, what are you going to see down the bottom right? You're going to see a gymnasium. Guess what? Ephesus had gymnasiums, not just one or two, but it had at least three. Ephesus had gymnasiums, people were into fitness, Uh, people were into, um, uh, it also had great engineering, great buildings, it even had theatres. And this is the theatre, 25,000 people that theatre sat. Uh, in 2,000 years ago. It's an amazing city. And so Paul writes to this little group of Christians who under the Roman Empire, they've been given a bit of a hard time and he writes to them about the importance of hope. Let's have a look at it. Let's have a look at that. Thanks for reading that reading before. Wherever you are, where are you? Thank you. Um, he says this, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed... You were marked in him with a seal. Not the seal that goes, oh, oh, I won't do that impersonation. But uh, not that seal, all right? But the seal of the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. How's that for a mouthful? So what's this about? What he's saying is this. He's writing to these Christians and he's writing to them and he's saying, hey, guess what? When you heard about Jesus, who is the ultimate rescuer, gospel of salvation, what does salvation mean? Salvation means rescue, rescue. You, you, and, and that's what Jesus has done for us. He has rescued us from the power and the penalty and the punishment of sin when he died on the cross for us. That's what he's done. He said, when you heard about this good news, and you believed the good news, you were given a mark. Now, just before New Year's Eve, on the 30th, gee, I get to do lots of good things. On the, I went to New Year's Eve party celebration. The day before that, my wife uh, bought, for Sandina and me, we were bought an annual pass to Taronga Park Zoo. So I took my little girl to the Taronga Park Zoo, and I hadn't been there for 20 years, and there's still different animals there. It's still good. But when you go to Taronga Park Zoo, it's like entering another world, isn't it? And, and so when we walked in, when we when, you know, you use the annual pass and you get in, and guess what they do at the front gate? They give you a stamp and, you know, it's got a mark on it and it's a mark and we were given a mark and that mark enabled us to go in and out of the zoo but it enabled us, more importantly, to access all the parts of the zoo except for staff access only areas. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying you are given a mark. You have been marked with access to heaven, access to God's kingdom and you've got that and he says how have you got that by this person called the Holy Spirit who is the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is the person the power and the presence of God the person of God the presence of God the power of God and you are given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is it is a deposit now what's a deposit well anyone here ever bought a car and you put a deposit down in that car. Or you buy a house and you put a deposit down for that house that you want to buy. And then the contract goes unconditional, which pretty much means it's yours. you just got to wait. you got to wait until settlement time. And when it's settlement time, guess what? The house is yours. And Paul uses this language here when he talks about the fact that you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And this is a deposit guaranteeing for us a future inheritance, an inheritance that we that we're guaranteed of, but we haven't actually got it yet. A bit like putting a deposit down on a house. And so he, he, he says this, he writes them, and, uh, and, he, and before, he, before we get to what he says next, some of you, put it, raise your hand if you watch TV. Come on, let's confess. Okay, raise. Keep your hand up if you watch that show this time next year. Okay, one or two or three of you, not many. Some of you, do you know what that show is? Okay. Well, look, let me quick quick explanation. This time next year, it's a little show that's been on TV from time to time, and um, they interview people in 12 months' time. What do they want to achieve? And then 12 months' time, they bring them back and see whether they've achieved their goal. What if God was to host a show, and God was to produce a show, and He was to interview you? But instead of it being this time next year, the question that God is going to say the show the name of the show is called This Time. In 100 years, what are you going to look like? Some of you are really concerned where I'm going with this. What's it going to be like this time in 100 years' time? Well, I want to share with you today what you are going to look like in 100 years' time. No, we're not going to show it on TV. We're not going to show it on the big screen. But I want to share with you what our future hope is. Because this is so important that we understand. Some of us are thinking, oh, I'll be six foot under. Some of us say, oh, I'm going to be cremated. Some of us say, I'm going to be scattered ashes all over the ocean. That's where I'm going to be. That's what the picture is I'm going to show you. No, 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 I'm not going to show you that. Here's the thing. What's our future going to be like? How, what do you believe about your future? Here's the thing. Jesus was very, very clear that for each and every person, they are loved by God. Jesus was very clear that he said, you are to love God with every fibre of your being, with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. Love God with everything you've got. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus was also very, very clear that every person, heart, soul, mind, body and strength, will end up in one of two eternal destinations. One of them is called heaven and the other is an eternal fire that never goes out. Jesus preached about heaven and he preached about hell. They are two realities about eternal destinations for people. And Jesus preached about these things. Today, I don't want to talk about the fiery one. There's been enough news about the present earthly fires. I don't want to talk today about the eternal fire. I want to talk about heaven. Three quick questions about heaven. Will it be better to exist in a place other than heaven? First question. Will it be better? Well, a pastor named David George said this. When he was a boy, when I was a boy, ever heard anyone say when I was a boy? He said, when I was a boy, the thought of heaven used to frighten me more than the thought of hell. I pictured heaven as a place where time would be perpetual Sundays with perpetual services from which there would be no escape. Lock the doors. That's what he thought about heaven. And he, some people think that hell is a much better place than heaven. A lot of people think that. Next question. In the afterlife, will we be spirits without bodies? Do we become a ghost or do we float on the clouds playing a harp forever? Do we, are we like, you know, is that what it's like? No, it won't be like that. Did we have a guitarist today? Oh, yeah, where? Yeah, yeah. Will heaven be playing the guitar, which is the modern-day harp? No, it's. I mean, as much as you might enjoy playing the guitar, heaven's not going to be like that. What about what about this? Will heaven be boring? Gary Larson was a famous uh, Far Side cartoonist, and he uh, wrote a number of great cartoons. Some of you have probably seen some of them and love them. But one of his Far Side cartoons shows this: a man in heaven sitting in a cloud doing nothing. <laughs> Wish I'd brought a magazine. You know, a bit like in the, you know, in the medical rooms, you're waiting to see the dentist or the doctor or, you know, wish I'd brought a magazine, wish I'd, wish I'd brought my phone, you know, wish I'd had something to do. That's, that's one people's, some people's concept of heaven is it's going to be boring. Another guy um, in, in one of his other cartoons, he said, life is pictured as a fate worse than death. A bit like uh, famous Isaac Asimov. He was a science fiction author. There's, he's written hundreds of books. And he says this, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more for whatever the tortures of hell, I think heaven itself, the boredom of it would be even worse. Is heaven going to be boring? What will it be like? I mean, we are the church and we're all about believing in Jesus and forgiveness of sin and eternal life. So what is this eternal life going to look like? You know, I believe that for some of these reasons that I've shown you, these cartoons, I believe that these are some of the reasons that Paul wrote to the Christians at Ephesus to help them see how important it was that we understand heaven, that we get an understanding of what heaven's really going to be like, about what our future hope really is. And so he writes this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, which is the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably incomparably great power for us who believe. I believe that this prayer that Paul prays is a prayer that we can pray for each other. One of the best things that we can do for each other is pray this prayer. God, will you please open someone's eyes? These, he's writing to Christians. This is interesting. But may you help people get to know you better, God. And may you help people get to know and understand the hope to which we are called. And what is hope? Hope is that confident expectation that God is going to come through, that He's going to fulfill His promises. That's what hope is. And, and so Paul wants people to understand, and this is a prayer that we could pray for each other and pray for the church and pray for Christians worldwide. A pray, great prayer that, that we will know God better and that we will know the hope. Why does he pray this prayer? Well, he prays for an outcome. Ultimately, he recognizes this that when there's no when there's no God, there is no hope. But when we know God, there is hope. No God, no hope. When we know God, we know hope. And that's why he says, "I pray that people will know God, know him better, and that they will know the hope." What it What is this hope? Well, today we're just going to have a quick look into the book of Revelation. Don't you love going to Revelation? Here we go. And what I want to just picture here is this riches of the glorious inheritance. He says this. This is John and he sees a vision of of what heaven's going to be like. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away. First heaven and first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. Sorry for those who have yachts or love surfing. Anyway, I don't know how that's going to work. But anyway, he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things. Guess what? Where we are now, we're in the old order of things. There's a new order to come. There's an age to come, a new heaven, a new earth. This is the old order of things. Where we are here. And then he goes on in twentieth chapter in verse in the same chapter in verse twenty seven. He says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life. What does all this mean? Look, there are some things that are happening here on earth that are not going to happen in heaven. There's going to be no tears in heaven. How good will that be? There will be no death in heaven. How good will that be? There will be no sadness in heaven. There will be no sickness. There will be no cancer. There will be no dementia. There will be no Parkinson's. There will be no bad stuff. There will be no need for knee replacements. There will be no need for heart surgery. There will be no need, there will be no accidents Heaven is going to be pure and perfect and it's going to be great. There's going to be no sin in heaven. The moment there's sin in heaven, guess what? It's not heaven anymore. And that's why we are saved through our faith in Jesus, the perfect one. God declares us as pure and holy when we put our faith in Jesus. And that's what this whole liminal series is about, this liminal. What does liminal mean? It's, it's the in-between place. It's the in-between place. And, and we are in a constant state of being in between. Liminal is that place of in between. We are not yet in heaven, are we? We're not there yet. And the best is yet to come. Paul described it this way and he said, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to live on in the body, this is going to mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what will I choose? I don't know. I'm, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. What's, what's this torn between thing? What's heaven going to be like? You see, in heaven, guess what? We're going to get to see Jesus face to face. The person who loves us the most, the person who, who created us, who made us, who loves us unconditionally, who loves us warts and all, the person who forgives us, the person who died on the cross for us, the person who was buried for us, the person who rose from the dead for us, the person who is the one who loves us, we're going to see him face to face and we're going to be with him forever and he's going to be with us forever. One of the things I'm looking forward to heaven is getting a new body. Do you know what? In heaven, you're going to get a new body. You're going to be the best version of yourself that you have ever been. The Bible talks about the fact that we get a new resurrected body and what's our resurrected body going to be like? It's just going to be like the resurrected body of Jesus. The resurrected body of Jesus was recognisable. People knew who he was. You're going to be recognisable in heaven, but you're not going to be affected by anything that, on this earth that could hurt you or damage you. The beautiful thing about heaven is I am going to be the best version of myself and I think I'm going to have the hair. <laughs> and, I'm, and, and all the bones that have been broken and all the injuries I've had, you know, it's, it's going to be the best and, we, and we're going to get a resurrected body. One of the things I'm looking forward to about heaven is this enjoying receiving the rewards that I've laid up in heaven. Do you know that we get rewarded in heaven? That every good act here on earth gets rewarded in heaven uh, when we do it to honour God and to honour Him. Let's, see, let's listen to what Jesus said about us receiving eternal rewards. He said this... Blessed are you when people persecute you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. That's in Matthew 5. Jesus also said this, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He also said, I tell you the truth, anyone who gives a cup of cold water to a little child in my name will not, he said, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So we've got so much to look forward to in heaven. And uh, I haven't got time to talk about it all the day, but there's so much more. But, but let's qu- take a quick look at this incomparably great power. Isn't that a mouthful? Can you say it? Incomparably great power. Incomparably. Say it. Incomparably. Isn't that a mouthful, eh? Incomparably great power for us who believe. He says this, That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And he seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is about power. This is about, do you know this, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and that's pretty mighty, isn't it? The very mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead, that Paul preached about, that Jesus rose from the dead, that very same power is in you. Do you realise that? Do you know that part of this deposit that um, Paul writes about, you know, that the mark and the deposit is this, The Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the power of God, the presence of God, the person of God, that when we hear about Jesus and when we believe in Jesus, this Holy Spirit lives inside of us. How good is that? This is something that I, I think we need to understand and pray more for, that we understand this great power that is in us for those who believe. We have that same power, and the power of Jesus and his name is more powerful than the name of any dictator or prime minister or president or premier or governor or any regime, Jesus Christ, his name is far more powerful than the name of Buddha, the name of Muhammad or the name of any other religious leader. There is power in the name of Jesus. And that's why when Jesus says, when you pray, ask in my name because there's power in my name. Hope is having that confident expectation that God will come through. Is Jesus your hope today? Is Jesus your hope? I pray that he is. I pray that you're looking forward to seeing him. I pray that you're looking forward and that you can... That I pray, I pray, my prayer for you today is that is that you would, you would know God better and that you would know this amazing hope that we are called to and that we would have a realisation of the power of God, the dynamite, the resurrection power in our life today. You know, one of the things that kept Jesus going, the Bible says that, Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What's this joy set before him? The joy that was set before Jesus was the joy that one day he would be again with his Father in heaven. But the other joy is the joy that one day you also would be in heaven. Do you know what kept Jesus going through all the tough stuff he went through? It was that joy that one day we would be in heaven. And that's why we celebrate communion every week. It's why we celebrate and and eat the bread and drink the cup because we remember that Jesus paid the ultimate price to rescue us. He paid the ultimate price so that we could be rescued from our sin and the punishment of sin and, and, and the ultimate price so that we could have eternal life that isn't going to be boring, that isn't going to be playing a harp, Well, it might be for some, but it's not going to be forever. Jesus has done so much for us. And I pray that in this new year, you will know God better in this year ahead. And that you will take every opportunity to know God better. And that you would know the hope to which you've called. We're going to share in communion now. And if you love Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, then you're welcome to share in this time. Let me pray. And then we'll share in communion. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, God, that in this world today, you are in control. Thank you for the hope to which you've called us. And we pray, God, that we would know you with us in our tough times, in our difficulties. And I pray, thanking you, Jesus, that you came from heaven to earth and you lived your life. And thank you that you gave your life on the cross to rescue us. Thank you that you rose again. And because you rose again, and because we put our faith in you, we also will live and we will rise again. And we can look forward to what we're going to look like in 100 years' time because we're going to be with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you said you look forward to eating and drinking with us one day in your Father's kingdom. And now we just have a foretaste of that now. Thanks for all you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Come as you're ready and share in this time of communion. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au or download our app today.